0: And we welcome you to the Thursday morning show on WGTDHD, Kenosha, Racine, Elkhorn, in Lake Geneva, your gateway to public radio. I'm Gregory Berg, and I'm about to enjoy what is becoming one of the happiest of morning show traditions each and every fall, or at least it's happened for the last three or four years. That is that we get to welcome into our studios a, a veritable flood of talent and good humor as nationally syndicated cartoonists from across the country a congregate in Kenosha for the Kenosha Festival of Cartooning, organized by Ann Morse Hambrock and John Hambrock. And once again, they have assembled a starry lineup of very special guests who are all here in the studios of WGTD this morning. And uh, I want to introduce each and every one of them to you right now, and we're going to have a conversation about the work that they do and the uh, entertainment which they bring to... Ah, uh, millions of people across the country. So, working around the table from left to right, I'm first of all happy to welcome into our studios uh, Lincoln Pierce, who is responsible for a, a, a comic strip and also a series of books that feature Big Nate. And this is a best-selling series of of books, and the comic strip's been around for a long, long time, following the adventures and mostly misadventures of the sixth-grade boy Nate Wright. And Most of what befalls Nate uh, happens within the the confines of his school, but uh, there are other kinds of adventures that are also featured as well. It's a a very, very popular strip and series of books, and uh, Lincoln Pierce, we're glad that you're here. Welcome to the morning show. Thanks very much, Greg. I'm happy to be here. Good to have you here. Right next to you is uh, uh, Rick Stromoski, who is responsible for the uh, comic strip Soup to Nuts that I'm sure a lot of you have seen. And you've also probably held his work in your hands if you've ever purchased greeting cards from, for instance, recycled paper products because uh, his resume also includes hundreds of cards which he has uh, designed for them. But we're here mostly to talk about uh, the the wonderful world of Soup to Nuts and that homely-looking uh, group of kids that uh, populate that uh, that wonderful comic strip. Rick, Stram- uh, Rick Stramusky, we welcome you to the morning show as well. Oh.
1: Thanks. We am I massacring
0: it. your name or am I getting no, that pretty, pretty
2: close? No, you're close. Uh, close <laughs> Relatively <laughs> close. You,
1: did, you massacred my name. I ma- <laughs> my name's actually pronounced Purse.
0: Purse. Yeah. I'm glad to know that. Thank you. And embarrassed that I didn't ask before I said that. Lincoln Purse. And uh, next to Rick is uh, Jeff Keane, And Jeff Keane's comic strip is Family Circus, which... Keane. <laughs> Keanu. Keanu. <laughs> I'll work on that. Uh, <laughs> Fortunately, his uh, uh, he had uh, someone r- really important to look up to, namely his father, Bill, who uh, created Family Circus, and Jeff began doing various, I guess you could almost sort of say odd jobs in and around the comic strip, and of course served as one of the sources of inspiration for his dad, and now uh, is responsible for this, uh, this comic strip that so many people know and love, and he's also twice served as president of the National Cartoonists uh, Society, so... For all kinds of reasons, we're honored to have you here, Jeff Keene. Thanks, great to be here. (laughs) Next to you is Todd Clark, who uh, is responsible for the comic strip Lola, which uh, I know runs in one of our our local papers, and I hesitate to say exactly which one, but I see it nearly every day, and I just because I read three dailies every day, I don't remember. But uh, I know a lot of our our local listeners are going to be very, very well acquainted with you. Uh, You're also... uh, Responsible, I read, for supplying jokes for other comic strips. So I'm really interested to uh, hear about the sort of moonlighting that you do in addition to your own marvelous strip, which involves Lola uh, Radner, Lola Radner, who uh, lives with her son, uh, much to his consternation and uh, and to our delight. Todd Clark, we welcome you as well. Good morning. Thank you. Good to have you here. Uh, we have Terry um, <laughs> Liebenson with us. Yeah. <laughs> and uh terry uh drove here she and her husband all the way from cleveland where she makes her home and among the things that keeps her busy in cleveland is the uh, delightful comic strip pajama diaries and uh, she's also someone who like rick Stramusky, has uh done some work in the greeting card business which uh can be uh a really good training ground and also a way to really uh kind of spread your wings artistically in some interesting ways. So uh Terry Liebenson, we're we're glad that you're here.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for making the trip. And finally Scott Stantis, who in a sense has joined us once before on the morning show. Scott was a guest in one of the previous uh cartooning festivals. I think it was a Death in the Family actually that that necessitated him Uh, remaining home in Chicago, but he was gracious enough to join us via the telephone the last time we had a big crazy conglomeration of cartoonists in the room, and it's nice to have you here in person. Scott Stantis uh, is with the Chicago Tribune, where he not only uh, pens uh, political uh, cartoons, but uh, also in the Tribune and in other newspapers, you can see his comic strip, uh, Prickly City, And a couple of other previous trips he did includes The Buckets. So, Scott, we welcome you uh, and are glad to have you here. So it's going to be a crazy uh, few minutes here, but I look forward to it. And it's a very, very busy weekend uh, with the Kenosha Festival of Cartooning, with all kinds of things going on. We should mention that, uh, among other things that are going on today... um, uh, Lincoln is on his way to a, a local elementary school. He's going to be there at 9.30 this morning. In terms of uh, public events out at UW Parkside today, there is a special session on the topic of censorship, sort of in line with uh, their focus on the Big Read and Ray Badbury's uh, Fahrenheit 451. So there'll be a panel discussion that Scott Stantis is uh, part of and a curator's tour right after that of the Dennis Kitchen Show. Uh, which is in Parkside's gallery. You want to see that today or tomorrow. Uh, There are various presentations and receptions, including a number of events which occur at the Kenosha Public Museum, including uh, uh, presentations and a reception there Friday night and events all day Saturday and uh, special benefit auctions Saturday night. So. These cartoonists are going to be kept very, very busy, and uh, we hope that you will take advantage of uh, any or all of the events which interest you over the next several days. Catching my breath, and now it's time to talk to each of these uh, talented folks who join us today uh, uh, in, in, in the studio. Lincoln Purse, I'll never, ever forget how to pronounce your last name now. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> so uh, tell us where you first got the uh, inspiration for this uh, now famous sixth grader by the name of, of Nate Wright, uh, made so famous in these books and, of course, in your comic strip as well. Remind me, first of all, what, what came first? The comic
1: strip came first, and um, like a lot of young cartoonists, I was submitting a lot of ideas, a lot of really bad ideas to the syndicates. <laughs> So uh, over the course of starting from when I was 18 to when I was in my early 20s, I submitted a lot of ideas which were summarily rejected. And then, you know, I got the piece of advice that everyone often cites as being really helpful, you know, write about what you know. So I wrote about um, the neighborhood in New Hampshire where I grew up, and I called it Neighborhood Comics. And that was sort of the precursor to Big Nate because there were characters in there that sort of, prefigured some of the characters in Big Nate. And I chose the name Nate because it's uh, the nickname for my older brother, Jonathan. Mm. So although the character is not at all like my brother in terms of his personality, I've just always loved the name, and I always called my
0: brother Big Nate uh, when we were kids. Mm. Tell us about the personality of Nate in your comic strip and if, if he is a composite of different things or, or in what way he took shape the way he did. I mean, why is Nate the way he is? Uh, well,
1: when I, started, when I started with Neighborhood Comics, I had two characters that were based on my brother and myself. And one was named Nate and the other was named Marty. And Marty was the younger, more troublemaking one. And, and that was my role in our family, not because I was necessarily a troublemaker, but my, my brother was sort of the ultimate straight arrow. And so I had that kind of second child syndrome where i'd go through school and i was a little more rambunctious and and the teachers inevitably would say i can't believe you are jonathan purse's brother Hmm. so so that's sort of how that evolved but i i don't i don't really base nate on myself he really is sort of just um he's he's fictional he Hmm. he's he's made up but he is the way he is just because you know Conflict and screwing up is a lot funnier than a kid who gets straight A's and (laughs) and succeeds in everything all the time. Nobody nobody wants to read a comic strip about the kid who
0: gets an A on every test and never gets in trouble. Right. But that would be quite a challenge. Right. One of the things that surprised me as I read up about about Big Nate, I've certainly seen it a lot, but... uh, It's funny how when you read a comic strip, that doesn't necessarily mean you keep track of the details in the way that you need to when you're going to interview somebody about the comic strip. So as I did some study of Big Nate, I was really surprised at the long, long list of characters that actually are part of it once you kind of total it all up. Have they all been part of this right from the beginning, or have they sort of been accumulated over time? Oh, yeah, yeah. They all, they add up. I mean, I... Actually,
1: uh, you know, my hero Charles Schultz sort of advised me early on, you know, don't have too many characters and don't, you know, don't create characters out of whole cloth just because you, you can't think of ideas for your regular characters. Hmm. So, you know, I when I started, I I took that to heart and I tried to be judicious and I just had, I think, six characters at the beginning. Hmm. And then but. You know, the the comic strip ser- takes, takes place largely in a school setting, and there are a lot of people in schools. There are teachers, there are school secretaries. I knew I didn't want to do one of the strips where, like like Peanuts, where no adults are ever in frame. You know, they're they yeah. are entirely off stage, and, and, and so um, so Nate's classmates and his teachers uh, are, you know, largely sort of make up the, the cast of, of the comic strip.
0: What about mrs. Godfrey, the most notable of the teachers is did yeah, you have a mrs. Godfrey in your life she yes something. i did i did yeah and um i
1: I've always tried to be careful about that because i i i did have um, one particular teacher you know i'm I'm often asked when I go to do school visits and and um kids say, you know did you really have you know just an awful social studies teacher in sixth grade?" and i say no i had her in 7th grade <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she was awful and um uh and she and she was she was like mrs godfrey now mrs godfrey is that much more extreme because you know we're dealing in we're dealing in extremes in terms of personality types so you you paint everything with a broad brush so I can't imagine any teacher being as awful as she. I can't imagine you know, a gym teacher being as sort of abusive as Coach John nowadays. But you know, the teachers that I remember from growing up were, were more extreme than teachers are now. I mean, our, my gym teacher in high school was the most unathletic-looking guy you can ever imagine, and he'd just throw us out on the field and smoke cigarettes on the sidelines. So <laughs> that wouldn't happen now. But it happened all the time then. You know. So anyway,
0: well, it's a great world you've created. Uh, Tell our listeners about Enslave the Mollusk. There's a name uh, that should live in. in, That's Nate's. (laughs) That's
1: Nate's band. And um, so this is one of the one of the only things in the strip that really sort of has its a real life counterpart. So my son Elias, when he was in sixth grade, he came home from school very excited. He said, "Dad, I'm in a rock and roll band." I said, what are you talking about? You play the viola. <laughs> he said, no, no, I'm the singer. And he and some friends at school had started a, a band, and they called themselves Enslave the Mollusk. And oh, their what? career, their illustrious career, lasted one rehearsal. And then they <laughs> creative differences. They just couldn't make it work, and they split up. And, um, but I love the name, and I said, i got to make this name live on. So that's the name of Nate's band, Enslave the Mollusk. Wow.
0: Wow. I- can almost imagine what they sound like. Yeah. <laughs> Lincoln Purse, uh, responsible for Big Nate. Right next to you is uh, Rick Stromowski, who's responsible for the delightful uh, strip Soup to Nuts. And I hope you weren't terribly offended when I ca- called your kids uh, homely. I didn't mean your real life kids, but uh, the <laughs> kids that are in this, uh, <laughs> in this family. <laughs> I hope those are more accurate. <laughs> yeah. based, based on Rick's family. Yeah, <laughs> they are. So tell us where this came from. Um,
2: I come from a very large family. I have 11 siblings. I have seven brothers and four sisters, and I'm right in the middle. I'm the seventh. And uh, pretty much, like Lincoln had said, you write about what you know. So I know exactly what it's like to grow up in a madhouse. And um, so I essentially am drawing uh, about my family growing up, uh, uh, kind of a pastiche of all my brothers and sisters put together. And... um, Pretty much, that's where it comes from.
0: Mm. Uh, it was interesting to look back at comic strips going all the way back to 2000. And I don't remember when Soup to Nuts began. Exactly. That's a year it started oh, okay. in my so, 14th year. So. OK. So I was probably looking at yeah. the very first comic strips. Not that I've looked at all of them from them to now. Why not? But But it was interesting to see, as so often happens over the course of 14 years. You can, in 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 the most minute sort of details, you can sort of tell this is that's then and this is now. But essentially, the design, especially what these kids look like, is very very. They're very
2: wall-eyed. I mean, they. Um, uh, I wanted to not only have the drawing be about kids because a lot of comic strips, um, about families, uh, kind of have they're like little mini adults, um, with philosophies like Peanuts is very philosophical and where I wanted my kids to actually not only sound like kids, but look like kids. And even the way I, to the point where I letter my strip, um, there's an adage that you have to, when you letter, it's all capitals. You don't use lowercase, Mm. but I mix, I mix them up within the body of the same word. I'll have lowercase and uppercase because that's that's how kids write. So it actually adds to the design of the, of the, of the comic to make it look very juvenile looking. I purposely draw in a kind of a sketchy kind of way, um, just so it looks it looks different from the comics page.
0: And how about facially, uh, especially, is it Andrew, who's the youngest? Andrew's, uh,
2: a, Andrew's a character that um, I, I, is probably the most popular and the strongest character in my strip because he's he's not well represented in the comics world. He's, he's six years old. He wears a cape all the time. Um, he plays with Barbies. Uh, he's terrible at sports. He loves show tunes. Um, but he 's very comfortable in his own skin he 's a very feminine little boy, and we all knew someone like that growing up, uh, or we were that little boy growing up and um, that boy's never represented in the comics and if he is it 's always it could be a negative way but mm. Andrew the glass is always half full for him, even though his his brother will you know try to you know uh, try to make he plays with his barbies and he said you know why do you play with dolls? And he said, "Well, they're not dolls they're action figures." And he said, "Well, when, since when is Ken an action figure?" He said, "Well, when he's summering in the Hamptons." <laughs> so he's 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 never um, he's he's never brought down by his older brother, and he's just he he resonate, He just re- comes back very very well with him.
0: Did you have to work long and hard to come up with that distinctive look? I mean, like if we could look in your wastebasket in 1999, would we find? Dozens of 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 precursors to what became the final look.
2: Well, I was influenced by um, Linda Berry and also the writing of Linda Berry and the drawing of Matt Groening's Life in Hell. I kind of like mm. a con- it's kind of like a combination of that. I just always liked the look of those characters, so you can see you can actually see the progression over time. Like you said, the, in the beginning, I, I wasn't very comfortable drawing them the way I was uh, as I am now. So it's it's kind of like if you look at any strip, if you look at early Peanuts, you know. Charlie Brown's head was massive and tiny body, so it evolves over time. But I have fallen into this comfortable uh, mode of drawing them now. And, it, and they're a lot more expressive now today than they were uh, in the beginning. But, yeah, it, it's a process that mm. you evolve into.
0: What's well, a great strip I also mentioned that on your resume are, are all these credits for uh, for doing greeting cards did that come before or is that also something you've done along the way
2: well I've, I've been a il- humorous illustrator since 1983 and so I've been syndicated about 14 years this is my third syndicated uh, feature uh, it's the only one that actually took but prior to that I was a freelance illustrator I've illustrated uh, children's books children's magazines um, Anywhere you saw humor, I did a lot of gag magazine cartoons. And I noticed that when I was doing my gag cartoons, that they could actually transfer to being greeting cards. So I have several hundred greeting card designs over the years that for about five or six different companies. Uh, some are still in lines that, that I get royalties from. And, um, but mainly it was just my freelance illustration work that was... And then eventually um, I had the idea of being syndicated. My first syndicated experience was very negative. Um, it was prior to... Uh, creators having their own copyright. Mm. I had a, a feature about a newlywed couple uh, that was being developed by King Features, and um, they they wouldn't launch it unless I signed my copyright over to King Features, and I didn't do it. I said, I, I can't sign my copyright over, and so the, the strip was never launched. Mm. So it kind of soured me on syndication for a number of years. And then I met um, Amy Lago, who's gonna be here for the weekend, she's gonna do portfolio reviews, but she was an editor at United, and we became friends at the Rubens, which is our convention every year. And she said, you should do a strip. And I've I've always wanted to do soup to nuts, but I had such a negative experience with syndication. She said, well, creators own their copyrights now. We we definitely negotiate more than we used to. And and, um, she picked my strip and launched it, and 14 years later, I'm still doing it.
0: Well, we're glad that friendship uh, led to this because we're glad... uh, Soup to nuts is is around so, and we're glad to have you here. Well, thank you. Next to you, I hope uh, the other five cartoonists in the room won't mind my saying is the illustrious Jeff Keane, uh, who is responsible what? now. I'm out of oh here. dear! Oh, Come on. On. Yep, they're all stomping out. Okay. Oh dear. All right. I That's take it how back. I'm always introduced. <laughs> Just the way I wrote it. Uh, okay, right. So Jeff Keane is responsible now for Family Circus. It's a it's a comic strip that was, of course, created by your father, uh, Bill Keane, and. Uh, my understanding is it's the most widely syndicated uh, panel in America so uh, somebody is doing something right. Um, tell us what clearly your, <laughs> my dad <laughs> <laughs> tell us what your earliest involvement was. I think I mentioned that uh, something about you going off to college and then coming back and uh, uh, right. actually doing a little bit of work for your dad what right. was that early work like? Well,
4: My earliest involvement was actually being born uh, <laughs> right. and, uh, trying to do gags for my dad as a, as a two year old um and then i finally when when i went to college i was uh, had a degree in theater uh from the university of southern california and um i was auditions and things like that And my dad came to me and said you know oh how about if you try and work with me you know it'll it'll um help further your career and and he was right because i've never been further from my <laughs> career than i am right now but the uh but i started to work doing the um putting together books coloring the cartoons uh for various products and things like that i would answer some of his fan mail and then over time it became more and more where i was just doing that and then he said well why don't you try penciling some stuff or or inking and i had no idea how to ink at the Mm -hmm. time and basically it was like okay sure i i guess I, i can i guess i can try and and then the guy who was inking the family circus would ink with a brush which since i had no idea anyway I, I learned to ink uh, with a brush, and luckily uh, it seems to have fooled people where they actually go, well, it looks like the same same cartoon. Um,
0: now, when you were growing up, did you sort of consciously think, I do not want to try to follow my father, or did the notion never even occur to you? I mean, how did yeah. you confront the, the, the fact that your father was doing this, and and one of your options might have been to... To make it, a concerted effort yeah, to follow him, it
4: never it never crossed my mind that that's what I would I would do. Um, it more or less just progressed over time, as I said. It was um, my mom and dad would encourage us to do whatever we whatever we liked, and so that's what I was doing. And then I enjoyed doing this too. It gave me the opportunity to work with my dad, which was great. And you know, I he, I, I could probably not get fired so it was a pretty safe job um because he'd have to deal with my mom if he fired me but the uh, uh over time it just it just happened um i was the youngest of of five kids so basically i guess i was the only one left for him hmm. um you know everybody else turned him down and i was stupid enough to say yes
0: <laughs> real stupid yeah, yeah. real stupid yeah. Uh, i was, pretty, I was wearing
4: my cape at the time, right. playing with my Barbie and, <laughs> ah, right. and singing a show to <laughs> I'm pretty
0: sure Family Circus is 54 years old.
4: Uh, let's see. Well, uh, uh, I'm – yeah, it started in 1960, and I I was 2, so it must be. So
0: yeah. it must make me 56. I, right. Well, and and I, <laughs> I remember that because yeah. I'm 54. So uh, oh, yeah. Family Circus and I were born in the same year. and And we should mention, I know you hate to talk about it, but the comic strip was born under a heavy cloud of controversy – Regarding its name.
4: Yes. Oh, very, very heavy cloud. heavy cloud. Um, <laughs> yes, it was called Family Circle at the time because it was in a circle. Um, and then... That, that is, the
0: shape about, on the page was a circle rather right. than the square. Right.
4: Yeah. And then it was, um, after about six months, uh, the syndicate at the time, which was registered in Tribune Syndicate, said, you know, there's the magazine Family Circle. Maybe you should think of changing that. And so my dad changed the L.E. to U.S. and made it Family Circus. Huh. So
0: and the rest is history. Yes. Over the course of that 54 years, I've, I feel like one of the things that you've done such a good job of is preserving the essential character of, of the comic strip, and yet we don't exactly feel like it's 1960 either. I mean, I should think that's a really tricky uh, balancing act for you. To- actually,
4: uh, I'm very conscious of that. My dad and I were always really conscious of making sure the family stayed within its time period of the current time period, um, and the start in the sixties, if you look at earlier cartoons, it's actually quite a different cartoon in some ways. My dad was doing a lot of gag strips. Um, the cartoon was much more gaggy hmm. and, um, and <laughs> not, not in the sense of, of being sick, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> funny. And, um, and so over time, and it became a little bit more family-oriented because he was really drawing us, my, hmm. my brothers and sister and, uh, the influence of my mom on my dad, I think, gave him, he felt then the permission to, yeah, I can make this a little bit more real, a little bit uh, not necessary. It doesn't have to be ha-ha funny. Sometimes people appreciate the fact that it's a, more of a, a warm feeling, a tug-at-the-heart uh, type of cartoon. And so when it got to the 60s, he realized that was what was really um, causing the most reaction by mm. people. Is is those type of cartoons, and he kept he realized that's okay on the comics page. Everything doesn't have to be, ha ha funny, and it sort of floats there, and, and you can count on it being that way. And over time, consistently, we we've, we've done that where uh, you know typewriters became computers, became cell phones, and uh, those type of things. Because in, in my feeling has always been families don't really change it's all the things around them change so that feeling that the family has of of, of loving their kids and loving each other and um and all those horrible things that happen and mm-hmm. and you know crazy things around the house those all happen but the the objects around them do change but they don't
0: right the love and the exasperation are pretty much, That's the, right. same. Pretty much the same
4: they're pretty much the you same know, Time, that's what makes it more love than exasperation. At the time, it's exasperation, but then when you look back, you go, well, I guess it
0: wasn't quite so yeah, bad, was kinda it? Yeah, I kind of missed that. Well, that's great. Next to you is Todd Clark who's a very intriguing comic strip is called Lola and I'm sure many of our listeners know it as I do. Yes, yeah, illustrious Todd Clark yes, we really want to make sure we get that in there <laughs> I, the, the premise of your comic strip is so interesting. Does it spring out of anything in your own life? Your mother living with you or your grandmother living with your mother or something?
5: No, it, at the time I, I, I did the first seven years of Lola with a partner with Steve Dickinson and We were just putting together a family strip. We had a previous strip with a syndicate that Rick mentioned that we had a bad experience with as well. Mm. But we were putting together a family strip, and that was one of the elements we wanted to have was because it was a kind of a growing demographic at the time of older folks living back with their family. And it wasn't necessarily going to be based on Lola, which was based on Steve Dickinson's great aunt. There is a Lola. There was a Lola up until a a couple years ago, Mm. and. so we were putting samples together and uh, we started realizing, you know, we're giving all the better lines to the grandmother character here. <laughs> so we just kind of uh, catered it that way and, and based it around Lola. She herself. is
0: a pistol. And and the thing that I find so interesting about her is, is uh, she. it seems to me she's just the right balance of slightly larger than life and yet feeling very authentic. I mean, she is not a caricature. She's a... She she feels real.
5: Well, yeah, we wanted to go for a, a character that just spoke her mind, wasn't politically correct, and was at an age in life where she didn't really care if you know she was doing things right, exercising, eating right. She just wanted to live and have fun. So that that was the where that came from.
0: Very good. And thank you
5: for <laughs> the words.
0: Well, I also want to ask you about th- this that I read about you that I I'd never really heard of before, namely that you evidently supply. Material for other comic strips, and uh, and it's a, 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 a some heavy hitters in the business uh, to which you've made contributions. Zitz, Sherman's uh, Lagoon, Goose and Grim, BC. Um, first of all, is, is that a relatively common thing that occurs?
5: Uh, somewhat. I, I don't know percentages. How many other people buy gags? But I've been able to make a pretty good living with that. I started off very early with Frank and Ernest. Um, doing a lot of gag so for supplying the things, things family. Yeah, okay. And when I, when you, when you, when you say it right, it's not like every day as a gag I wrote. It could be three a month. It could be fifteen a month, depending on the strip. And then, uh, real soon after that, um, through a various process, I got to Mike Peters with Mother Goose and Graham which Grimm's going to hit thirty years in October, and I've written for him for almost twenty of those. Mm. Mm-hmm. At this
0: Now, how typically does the transaction work? Does something just occur to you and think, oh, that would be funny for Mother Goose and Grimm, and you pick up the phone and call Mike Peters? Or does he call you and say, I can't think of anything to do? um,
5: No, with Mike, originally I would just write a batch a month or or two a month and send them to him. And now it's gotten to the point over the past maybe 10 years, Mike will call me or send me an email saying, hey, this is a series idea I want to do, and we'll bat a couple ideas back and forth. He'll, He'll have a couple of ideas jotted down. And then I'll just kind of run with it from there and send him a, a batch from there.
0: And are you are you sending out something that's just written out? I mean, I
5: rough th- the I rough the drawing out. Probably because my typing skills, it's faster for me to actually draw and rough. Plus, I like seeing in my mind an expression, even if it's a real just brief um, expression. I'm talking way too much with my hands for radio, <laughs> aren't I? Um, <laughs> So yeah, I can I can do a lot of characters in three seconds huh. of just roughs of them.
0: Wow, that that would re- be a really interesting thing to actually see sometimes. See what that looks like and uh, what that's. Are you responsible for the Mother Goose and Grimm comic strip where the dog is drinking out of the toilet?
5: That's every other mother girl. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, that just several happens of be, those, yes, uh, have been it mine. just happens to be one years.
0: of my favorites where yeah. he, the first panel you see, all you can see is his rear end of the dog in the toilet. And then he comes up with that cross eyed look. It says, it doesn't get any better than this, so I don't know why I like that. But I Todd don't. sent that to me originally. <laughs> yeah. I said no. Jeffy so the, sticking out of the toilet didn't, right. <laughs> uh, didn't fit the fit the circle. Uh, all right, next to you is uh, Terry Liebenson, who is responsible for the. Uh, the comic strip known as Pajama Diaries, and I am guessing that a lot of this springs out of your own life. Tell us about uh, when this comic strip was created and indeed how much it reflects your life.
3: <laughs> um, quite a bit, quite <laughs> a bit. Um, well, I thought of it actually, it, it's funny because I remember just trying to come up with um, great gimmicky ideas for a long time, way back when, and Nothing ever really stuck ex- unless it came from real life, and um, I also kind of came up with a starter comic strip about newlyweds um, before Pajama Diaries, and it was when my husband and I first got married, and um, and it became a weekly, and then um, eventually we had kids, and I said, okay, well, you know what? <laughs> if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do this thing called real life, then it the strip really has to reflect it, so Pajama Diaries kind of sprung out of my first strip, just the same couple with kids. Um, Vastly different drawings, though, because I was so out of practice with drawing for a long time. I was just writing greeting cards and really didn't have uh, a lot of drawing under my belt just at that point, so... There's a huge difference with my drawings from then till now, Hmm. and uh, so so we're talking
0: about simpler drawing, or a little more primitive approach, or just an approach that is not quite so detailed. Is that? Uh,
3: Kind of like an eight-year-old was drawing them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could work on that strip. (laughs) (laughs) But not, yeah, not in a fun kind of primitive way, kind of in a really, you know, (laughs) fad. Right.
0: One of the things that Anne Moore Sandbrock and I were talking about before we went on the air, Anne is, of course, the uh, organizer of this wonderful event and and quite a connoisseur of the world of comics, but she and I were talking about how... uh, especially here and there, although your, 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 your comic strip is very, very warm-hearted. On the other hand, there will be these moments that are just a touch edgy, maybe a touch adult, <laughs> and uh, you, you're probably, I should think, grateful that you, you're writing this comic strip now when some of that is possible, where you can at least touch on a few topics or themes that uh, probably 30 or 40 years ago, there would have been no way that would have seen the light of day in a newspaper.
3: Yeah, I actually People come up to me um, out of the blue and just say, "I can't believe what you get away with." And you know, it's funny because in real life, I'm you know, I'm pretty, I can be pretty reserved and um, and even kind of shy. But it, you know, there's just this whole other life that comes out of me <laughs> in this trip. And, and I feel so much more brave. I don't know if it's because I'm just holed up in my own house, and you know. At, you know, you have that kind of safety net of that, and uh, so you're just sending stuff out there in the world without really thinking of the ramifications. <laughs> and I just got used to that. So, uh, so the safety <laughs>
0: valve is off when you're cartooning. and
3: uh, A lot of times, yeah. Well, yeah.
0: That, that must be a great feeling. It's probably a lot it's of people great. listening with great envy <laughs> who wish that they had that uh, same sort of vehicle. Like Rick, no, is it? Yeah, like Rick, you have, uh, and you just mentioned, you've done some work with... Uh, in the world of greeting cards. Does mm-hmm. um, that feel like a completely different thing or are there some ways in which it, it feels like kind of the same sort of expression?
3: Um, most of the time it's a different beast. It's uh, I primarily write. I really don't do any illustration anymore for greeting cards, um, just just from a time, fac- time factor. And I really enjoy writing now. So um, sometimes there's some overlap with that in the comic strip. Sometimes I'll say, well, this would make a better strip. Than greeting card or vice versa. Um, it really kind of depends. Sometimes it's just I write straight gags, sometimes it's more in cartoon format. So, and it depends on the caption as well. If I'm writing for Mother's Day, half the time, you know, I'm sort of juggling one or the other. Oh, well, this really should be for that purpose, not mm-hmm. this one. But uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun.
0: Well, uh, Pajama Diaries is, is really, really great. And even for some of us who aren't quite living that life i mean for instance living life without the wildness of kids in the mix uh there's still a lot we can identify with it's uh it's a job very very well done Thank you. um and next to you our our uh, our, our last and by no <laughs> means least guest in the room is uh, scott stantis who is with the chicago tribune he's been there since uh, 2009 and is responsible not only for the comic strip prickly city uh, and before that, Buckets. And before that, something else. I can't remember. You have had three strips, haven't yeah. you? What was yeah. the other one? Oh, gosh.
6: Uh, Sydney, which was horrible. Thank you for <laughs> bringing <laughs> it <laughs> Oh, happy this to. It's hap- like an embarrassment. Oh, so yeah, happy to bring you it bring all, all up. You bring up a death in the family. You bring up my failed comic strip or anything else. <laughs> that's I'm my job. My dog's <laughs> dead. We can talk about this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, you are a, and you are a political cartoonist on top of it. And that's something we haven't really talked about. But... Um, in fact, let's start with that. Then we'll do Prickly City. So typically, are you just watching to see what happens the 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 next thing that uh, a certain president does that uh, drives you crazy or the or the next sort of crazy thing that happens in the world of business? and then, does something just pop into your head
6: instantly? oh, oh I, I can I, I know I speak for everyone else in this room to say that nothing ever pops into your head. It's always uh, Jeff McNally had a great line. Um, he said you you know the creative process was staring at a blank piece of paper until beads of blood appear on your forehead. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of the process but I'm also I am blessed in that I work for the Chicago Tribune and I and hence I live and work in Chicago and mm. so they, there's never a loss for corruption or Chicanery, and you just sit there and you watch, and you find, you think, you see something. Hopefully, it ticks you off, and you think it on the tick off of a meter of one to ten. Uh, where is it, and then you try to approach it from there.
0: Mm. Now, uh, you're know, you you're not particularly shy about the your own political leanings. If we piled up uh, two hundred of your political cartoons, uh, would your political leanings be? really evident or oh, yeah. or is there <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, job. Yeah. no but I mean uh, but I mean if if we looked at 200 of your of your uh, cartoons would we find anything that poked fun across or it always it almost always pokes fun across the aisle but how often are you poking fun on your side of the aisle uh,
6: I think I'm one of the rare ones who actually recognize that's you know the other side doesn't have the corner on stupid Hmm. uh that i uh, i I do lean conservative and uh <laughs> we have a, we have that crap crazy on our side too and so <laughs> I like to poke them as well
0: well that was that's that's been my sense and I wondered if that was is if that's a conscious decision on your part or if, or if that just sort of naturally happens just because of who you are and what's important to you
6: I'm just naturally annoyed you know <laughs> i mean that's just i think it's a great attitude to have as a political cartoonist and so you know when you know you have someone like a Michelle Bachman uh, in your party. Uh, when I don't know if you remember uh, the last uh, presidential cycle, and she won the Iowa straw poll. That's true. I don't know if you guys remember mm-hmm. this. And so I did a cartoon of an elephant, a male elephant, uh, kind of looking at his back and pulling it out, he has a tramp stamp that says, Michelle <laughs> B. forever. <laughs> he goes, My God, what did I do this weekend? <laughs> um, you know, and, and I get a lot of people from the right saying, You never make fun of Democrats.
0: That's my my thirty-year career is based on. (laughs) Nuts. As for Prickly City, one of the things that's so intriguing about that that comic strip is this odd couple, this odd pairing of this young girl uh, Carmen and the is he a coyote? Is that what he is? Or or as my son
6: likes to say, the cat and the black girl. (laughs) (laughs) And she is indeterminate ethnicity. He is a coyote cub. Right.
0: I mean there's there's all kinds of ways I suppose in, in which that really works but I can't imagine you walking into someone's office and pitching that saying oh I have this great idea for a comic strip it's a young Hispanic girl and a, and a little coyote uh, and uh, who, who disagree about everything but I mean that's such an intriguing notion it's also one that I'm surprised somebody bought I'm glad somebody did but. Oh, well
6: you mean both <laughs> uh, no I, I thought the characters it was really important to have characters who could say stuff that's so acerbic and yet because it's coming out of the mouths of the characters it's coming out of you know it, it becomes palatable um, the Coyote Cub was a great analogy for me for the left because he's he's nice he's warm he's cuddly he's kind of goofy he's a liberal, and Carmen who is indeterminate ethnicity actually mm-hmm. uh, it, but which makes it confusing for a lot of people which is great which was the point is that she's very thoughtful very dour sometimes very scoldy and so she's a conservative
0: kind of humorless and uh can be there are times yeah. which, there,
6: no i'm serious There are times, i mean i don't no. know if the, you, you guys have the same thing but she yeah. sometimes she i just don't like her okay. I mean, she just seems like such a scold and i don't know if your characters have that and a new character which came out of nowhere called uh kevin the lost bunny of the apocalypse who ran for oh, and yeah. won a senate seat <laughs> and right so on. he just wants to bring the end this time that was his whole mantra And he's kind of taken over the strip in a lot of ways. And now his wife, Honey Bunny, is the Hillary ish character who wants to, who's running for his seat. (laughs) No comparisons by (laughs) contemporary politics at all.
0: So, uh,. Interesting things continue to uh, sweep from the uh, fertile mind and imagination of Scott Stantis and all of our guests who are sitting around this table. And we don't have a whole lot of time for a wide-ranging conversation about the work that you do, but let me just throw out a a, a couple of questions. Uh, Somebody mentioned Jeff McNeely and the blank uh, canvas and the beads of blood on your brow. Uh, What do you do if and when you ever experience that, where the, 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 the canvas is blank and the deadline looms? I mean, are there particular things you do to try to uh, jumpstart the ideas?
2: I, I focus on... This is Rick. I, I tend to focus on one thing. I'll just write a word down like toast. <laughs> and I'll just start thinking, and I'll extrapolate on toast, like what happens when you make toast. Sometimes the toast gets stuck. Sometimes, you know, you get electrocute yourself trying to get the toast out which makes you think of uh, the game Operation. So I actually got a gag through that whenever, you know, Roy Boyce, he'd be saying my toast gets stuck. I feel like I'm playing Operation, but for real. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. You just try to focus on one thing and then, because if you try to focus on everything, nothing comes. But if you, you try to think of something funny of one thing uh, and then extrapolate and write everything that you can about this one subject or an emotion or a feeling, it tends to... The, feed the kitty kind of thing. I well, like to think
5: about Rick making toast.
2: always gets something going. That's a week's worth right there. There you go. Right.
4: I just call Todd. <laughs> uh,
0: I wonder if you feel like th- there is anything sort of unique about this moment in time that you're doing this. Um, where there is uh, maybe a new openness of possibilities, or or on the other hand, do you feel more like you have to be careful or cautious, or is it trickier knowing what's funny? I mean, what is it like to be a cartoonist in two thousand fourteen in terms of kind of what the overall environment is? Is this, is this a an era where just about anything goes and you feel very it, free to try? It's all? actually
4: it's not. You still uh, completely have to be conscious of what's going on. In fact, there's cartoons. Family circus that don't wouldn't fly now because of the uh, PC um, mm. type of thing, and it's not that it's not funny. It's just that you just can't get away with it, um, mm. and it's understandable, uh, especially with uh, family circus that they that becomes a real thing. But there's other cartoons that um, you know the if it was. You know, Prickly City, he, can, he could say these things, and it's looked more as like, well, it's an editorial statement. Oh, You know, he's an, he's, this guy, he's a, he's a jerk anyway, so what do, what do I care? You know, I'm not going to read that. But um, sometimes you have to keep it within your uh, circle, so to speak, of, of what people expect of you. And so I wouldn't be able to do a lot of um, political cartoons, but I could do a cartoon that has a political bent. Hmm. Um, I can remember a cartoon in, um, I think, in the '70s, or or the it actually could be around in the '80s, and actually I think I might have done it in the '90s and 2000s of of um, the daddy behind um, doing his taxes or looking at bills, and mommy's looking stressed, and Dolly saying to Jeffy, you know, if the economy doesn't get better, I think we're going to have to give PJ away. <laughs> um, and that type of that type of cartoon, but that and that's a that's a family thing. But I guess it is a political statement in the end.
0: Right. Can Some? I chime
3: in? Oh, mm. No, go sorry. ahead. Go okay. ahead. Um, I just have to say, I love trying to get away with things without <laughs> really. <laughs> Sort of hiding things within other things i for instance, um, we're not allowed to say sex in the comics, so I call it marital intimacy because you could sort of get away with the con <laughs> you could get away with that within the realm of family and relationships.
0: you mean you literally cannot s- Use the word "sex" in your not that system? I'm aware of. Wow! I you should, know, try it. should try. You it. know, actually, <laughs> I can I can say that we we had in the I can remember the
4: cartoon. Now I think it was 19 the late 60s or whatever. Had Dolly running in with her. Report card, holding it up and saying, "Mommy, I got an F in sex," which was you know, <laughs> or, or female. I'm and, it. Yeah. I'm but but I agree. But that's where so he could do that, and you, you probably couldn't. People, and that's
6: where the balancing act is now. I think in comics is this that is Scott. if you draw for newspapers, you still. I I've never used the word sex in my comic strip, but uh, you can't say that sucks, which is sort of like yeah. a chauvinism. Everybody uses. But you, I mean, it's like Eisenhower is still president. I mean, it's weird. and then you look at what the guys who are and women who are doing uh, web comics, which are way out there and wonderful and hilarious, and contemporary. And um, you know, might explain why people under 50 don't read newspapers. Mm.
2: Sometimes it's your it's your this editor too. I, we've had I've had several editors over the years have changed. They've moved on. Uh, what didn't fly with one editor, I was able to get past another editor. Um, sometimes, I, one time I threw a gag in just to make her laugh, and it was published. And it was probably the most shocking thing I've ever done. It was uh, <clears throat> Andrew was looking over his brother's shoulder, and he was working at his desk. and He said, what are you doing? Was, I was playing with a ball, and I knocked a crucifix off the wall, and it broke, and I have to fix it. And the next panel, he has this little Brad hammer and he's <laughs> he's nailing jesus <laughs> the <God>. oh, <laughs> and he looks up and he says i feel like a roman <laughs> i didn't get one negative email at all it was i wow. couldn't believe that it. It, it so it, it just depends on the audience it could could be also because my strip is not as widely distributed i could probably get away with a little bit more um but it, sometimes it's just the editor you um, know that they'll let you do so gags that uh, one editor didn't let me do i i saved and then redrew them for the next editor and, and, I, let me and put i've in. had over the years
5: where um i will i'll run something by an editor and they'll say we need to have an alternate as well so they will show it to the paper exactly, and say yeah. if, if you're comfortable with running this go for it if not um here's one you can run that hmm. you think your readers won't get all fired up about
0: here's a last quick question uh you seem like such a warm group of six uh, and and this the six sense six, i have six, six. Six. we can't six. say that <laughs> can't <five> six. <laughs> you know. right uh, and this is my sense after doing this three times now having the studio filled to the brim with cartoonists that you seem like uh, actually a very warm community uh, and not very much like competitors and someone from the outside looking in might might actually be kind of pleasantly surprised/shocked slash that uh, that you have this, this respect for each other, or appear to be at least, having that you know really warm connection with I each think
4: other. It, I think it comes from we all start with a blank piece of paper. You know, we're all starting the same position. Nobody nobody has some great big advantage of, oh, you're in this many papers. Well it's still you're still starting with a blank piece of paper. And so we all can appreciate everybody's work, whether it's you know, in a thousand papers or a hundred papers, it doesn't really matter. We also live basically the same isolated life. We're all working, you know, at our at our desks by ourselves or whatever. And so, the opportunity to come out and then see each other, uh, we kind of jump at the k- chance. Mm. And also, we hide our disgust well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I've never met a more friendly or open. A group of people than cartoonists, and, and it's it's ironic because we're all in competition with one another from this ever shrinking real estate on the comics page. But I've never met more helpful people. When you're in a bind, they fall over back They share mailing lists. They share uh, leads. Uh, I I do the same. I give it back, and it's it's amazing community, and I hmm. it's a real privilege to do what we do.
0: That's cool. That's cool. And of course, you're in town now to share with uh, even a wider audience than our listeners. Uh, a lot of what you do, and for instance, Lincoln is about to head off to an elementary school. That's what they tell me. <laughs> do you do a lot of that? I do
1: when uh, my publisher sends me on book tours, I do, and then I do, um, you know, a, f- a handful else, you know, uh, at other times during the year. Right. Mostly elementary schools.
0: Right. You get to step out from the safety of your own uh, little easel and uh, get That's out right. there and talk about all this. Well, I'm really glad that all of you have joined us here in the studios to uh, to to share with uh, with our listeners all that you do. I want to quickly run down uh, at least some of the events that are going on in this weekend's festival. Um, this afternoon at two o'clock at UW Parkside, a panel discussion on censorship and comics. What a great uh, topic! Which. Uh, will include as its panelists, Scott Stantis from the Chicago Tribune. Dennis Kitchen, who is going to be on the morning show tomorrow with Mike Schumacher, primarily to talk about the great Al Cap. is also on that panel. That's 2 o'clock this afternoon. And uh, you can also see Dennis Kitchen's uh, uh, display out there at Parkside. There is uh, a gallery reception uh at 6 to 9 uh, tonight for that show at at Parkside. Um and a number of different presentations. Uh, Friday is going to be a very, very busy day. uh, And most of the events are at the Kenosha Public Museum uh 6:30 is that a.m. or p.m. soup to nuts behind the scenes with Rick Stramski I hope it's p.m. <laughs> yeah, I think it is p.m. p.m. definitely yeah it is p.m. as i look at it. and Lola Todd Clark will uh, will take people behind the scenes there and uh there is a uh, uh, a special event at Villa De Carlo uh, tomorrow night as well Saturday again all day long at the Kenosha Public Museum all kinds of uh, of different events beginning with a panel discussion on Wisconsin's place in comic history beginning at 10.30. There are going to be some classes that are taught uh, on Saturday at the museum, and there are uh, a tiny number of openings still, and so uh, people can call the Kenosha Public Museum for that. We get behind the scenes of Big Nate and the Pajama Diaries, Prickly City, Family Circus, and the big Comic Art for Kids Charities Benefit Auction is uh, 6 p.m. Saturday evening. And um, you can go to KenoshaCartoonFest.com for uh, all the information about this weekend's events, uh, organized by the tireless Anne Morse Hambrock. I want to thank my guests for being here today: Lincoln Purse, Rick Strumoski, Jeff Keen, Todd Clark. Terry Lieberson and uh, Scott Stantis. you think I could spot the one woman in the room without any problem. One of these things is not like that. I'm so glad to make the acquaintance of all of you. I thank you for the great work that you do and uh, wish you very well. Much happy cartooning in the years ahead. Thanks Thanks, thanks, Thanks for having us. We'll join Wisconsin Public Radio in just a moment here on WGTV.